The Torah at the beginning of Parshas Kisisa records how Hashem instructed Moshe to count the Jewish people whilst they were in the Midbar. And the way that they would be counted is that each member of the Jewish people would give half a shekel, which would be collected, and then the half shekels were counted, and that way they would know how many Jews there were. Now, though the simple reading of those pesukim implies that it was a one-off mitzvah, and then it did not apply in future generations, that is not the case, and actually there is a mitzvah with the Eraisa, there is a Torah command every year, once a year, during the month of Adar, for everybody to contribute half a shekel, and this money would go towards the Beis HaMikdash and Karbonus which were brought in the Beis HaMikdash, as we will discover in this Masechta. Now, what the Torah calls half a shekel, the Mishnah calls a shekel. During the times of the Mishnah, the full shekel was known as a sela, and half of that sela coin was a shekel. But really that is the same as the half shekel, which existed in the Midbar when the Torah was given. Be it as it may, from Rishchidosh Nisan onwards, they would begin using the new funds which were collected from all of the half shekels. And so during the month before that, during the month of Adar, that is when the Shekolim pieces were collected. So it says the Mishnah Be'echad Ba'adar, on the first day on Rishchidosh Adar, Mashmina la Shekolim, they would make an announcement about the Shekolim, they would remind people that the collection is coming up, and so people should just be aware and ready to give the half shekel. Now another thing which they would announce on the Rishchid Shadar is not quite related to Shkolim, but Vala Kilaim, they would announce about Kilaim. Kilaim refers to the prohibition of planting two different species together. And the halacha is that as well as the prohibition to plant it, you're also forbidden to keep it in the ground once it has been planted. Once it's fully grown, then there are certain times where it's permitted to eat it. But as long as it hasn't fully grown, it is forbidden to allow that to be growing in your land. So they would make an announcement on Rosh Chodesh Adar that anybody who does have kilaim in his field must uproot it. That during this time of the year, Rosh Chodesh Adar, that is when the plants begin to sprout, they begin to grow, and so before they grow and it's obvious that someone has kilaim in his field, the announcement is made to get rid of that kilaim. On the 15th of Adar, the Megillah is read in the walled cities. Although the main Purim date is on the 14th of Adar, cities which were surrounded by a wall from the times of Yeshua ben Nun, they celebrate Purim on the 15th of Adar. So although that's not really related at all to the Mishnah, since we're discussing what went on on the 15th of Adar, we also mention this since it is a significant thing which is done on that day. They would fix the roads and the square, the city squares. By the 15th of Adar, most of the winter had ended, and it's likely that all of the rain which was in the winter ruined the roads or the square a little bit, and it might need repairing. And so any of those public needs which require repairing, that is also done around this time. And the reason why it is a necessity that the roads be in a good state is for the purpose of the Orimiklot. The Orimiklot are the cities where the Torah says that if somebody kills somebody by mistake, he is obligated to run to one of these cities. And the Torah says that it has to be easy for him to get there. And so because of that, the roads need to be in good condition, so that it is easy to reach the Oremiklot. There's Mikvos Hamayim, the Mikvos of water. They might have also been ruined during the winter. There might need to be some more water added to the Mikvah. It has to be a minimum size. So all of these things are looked into on the 15th of Adar, and all public needs are done on this day. As well as that, we mark graves with lime, so that people can recognize if a grave is there, so that they don't walk over it, or perhaps under a tree which is going over it, which would make them tome. So to make sure people know where the graves are, and in order to avoid that, 
So lime had to be put on the graves. But again, during the winter, lots of the lime came off, so it had to be put there again at the end of the winter. And that ends off the mission of Yetzin Afalakilayim. Messengers of the basin would go out in order to deal with the problem of Kilayim. Two weeks previously on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, on Rosh Chodesh Adar, they made an announcement that everybody has to get rid of the Kilayim. So now two weeks later, on the 15th of Adar, the basin would send messengers to deal with anybody who had not yet removed the Kilayim. Mishnah base, what exactly would they do with the Kilayim? Um, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda said, where Shaina originally, what would these messengers do if they found somebody who hadn't yet uprooted the Kilayim? So the messengers would come, Hayu Oikrin, they would uproot the Kilayim themselves, Mashlichin Ifneim, and throw it in front of those people who had it in their fields. So this disgraced them a little bit, but at the end of the day, it didn't solve the problem. And in fact, Mishnah Rabbu Ivra when those who were violating this Avera of keeping Kilayim, when that number of people increased, because what these messengers were doing didn't help. Because they were doing the hard work for these people, they came and uprooted it, and the people who had planted it were still able to benefit from it. They could give it to their animals. We're referring to climb of two different species, which are not planted in a vineyard. If they're planted in a vineyard, then it would be forbidden to benefit from it. But other climb plants, other climb mixtures, one is able to benefit from it. So after the messengers came and uprooted it for them, they would just give it to the animals to eat. It perhaps wasn't totally ripe, but they would still benefit from it. So because of that, the messengers tried a new tactic. They would uproot the Kilayim and then throw these plants onto the roads. So this way they would get ruined and they wouldn't even be able to benefit from it and feed it to their animals. However, even so, this didn't prevent people from keeping Kilayim in their fields. Because at the end of the day, they figured that even if they were to plant the Kilayim in their fields and the basin's messengers catch them, the basin's messengers themselves would uproot the plants themselves. So they wouldn't even have to do the hard work. And so ultimately the basin hiskinu they instituted, that they would declare the entire field to be ownerless. The Torah gives the basin the power of hefker basin hefker, of making anybody's um, property, anybody's possessions ownerless. So that also means they can transfer it from one person's property to somebody else's possession. But in this case they just made it ownerless, and that means that really anybody else would be able to come into the field and pick those plants for themselves. Mishnah Gimel, the Mishnah returns now to the subject of the Masechta. Bachamisha Osarboy on the 15th of Adar, Shulchanus HaYeshvin Medina. Money changers would sit in the city, we're going to understand this to be referring to Yerushalayim. Some explain it to be every city, but we're going to understand it refers to Yerushalayim specifically. And the purpose of these money changers was firstly to collect the half shekels, and also to make sure that people give it the right amount, and they have the right change to give, because indeed everybody has to give the exact same amount. But Esim Vachamisha, on the 25th of Adar, 10 days later, Yoshib Mikdash, the money changers moved to sit around the Beis Hamikdash, not in the Beis Hamikdash itself, but on Harabayas, on the mountain on which the Beis Hamikdash stood, and this symbolized to people that they need to hurry up, and that anybody who has not yet given the half shekel needs to do so quickly before the beginning of Nisan. And continues the mission, Mishnah Yoshua Mikdash. From the time that the money changers sat in the Beis Hamikdash in the Hanahar Bayes, his Chilul Mashkain based in began to take collateral from anybody who had not yet given the shekel. They would take hold of one of the possessions of anybody who wouldn't have yet given the shekel until he actually gives the shekel. So that was the way of forcing them to give their half shekel. And the Mishnah asks, Es which sort of people would the based in take collateral from? Leviim, Yisraelim, they'll take it from Leviim, from Yisraelim. We're going to see in a moment that they would not take it from Koranim, even though it is an obligation on Koranim to give the half shekel as well. 
Geirim, converts, Avodim, Meshacharim, non-Jewish slaves who are freed, because when a non-Jewish slave is freed, he becomes fully Jewish and must keep all of the mitzvahs. Avodim, Noshim, but they would not take collateral from a woman who hadn't yet given the shekel, because she's not obligated to give the half shekel at all. The Torah specifically says, Ish, Venosnu Ish, that every man needs to give the half shekel, but not a woman. The Avodim, non-Jewish slaves, they have the same halachas as women, in terms of which mitzvahs they need to keep. Uktanim, and children, boys who are under the age of bar mitzvah, or according to others, anybody who is under the age of 20 years old, just like the original half shekels which were given in the midbar, for the sake of counting the Jewish people, they were only given by those who are above the age of 20. So there are some who learned that also in the yearly shekel contribution, it also only applied to people who are above the age of 20. Although, as we explained, others learned that we are talking about people who are under the age of bar mitzvah, who just like all other mitzvahs, are exempt from keeping them. However, says the Mishnah, any cotton young person who is not obligated in the shekel, but his father began every year to contribute a half shekel also for his son. So though it wasn't an obligation, since he has now accepted upon himself to do so every year, also on behalf of his son, he is not allowed to stop doing so, because he has fixed that obligation upon himself. Now, those we mentioned before, Kayanim, are also obligated to contribute the half shekel every year. The Eimah Mashkinin is a Kayanim. The Basin would never take a collateral from the Kayanim if a Kayan doesn't wish to give the half shekel. The Basin would not take any of his, of his possessions until he gives it. Because of the ways of peace, since the Kayanim serve in the Beis HaMikdash, they feel that they deserve some sort of reward, some sort of payment, so that payment comes in the form of not being forced to give the half shekel if they don't wish to, however they are still obligated. Mr. Dalad, this Mishnah brings an opinion who actually holds that Kohanim are not obligated in the half shekel. And although the Mishnah refers to Kohanim, the same applies to Leviim as well. The entire Shevet, the entire tribe of Levi, and the reason for their exemption, according to the first opinion of our Mishnah, is because once again, we compare it to the original half shekels which were given in the Midbar, which was for the sake of counting the Jewish people, and the Levian were not included in that count of the Jewish people. So they did not give the half shekels originally. So too, according to this opinion, the entire tribe of Levi in the future generations would also not be obligated to give the half shekel for the Beis HaMikdash. Omer Behuda Behuda said, Hey ben Bruchi Biavne. Ben Bukhri testified in Yavne, Any Kohen who does contribute to half shekel has not sinned. Meaning he certainly doesn't need to, says Ben Bukhri. And you might have thought that he actually sins if he does give a shekel. So says Ben Bukhri, you haven't done a sin if you do. Now what sin would you violate? What's wrong with giving the half shekel? So if he's not obligated, then I might have considered the half shekel which he gives not to be considered sanctified. Which means that once it is mixed with all of the half shekels, and that money is used for various korbanos for the Beis HaMikdash. If part of that money is not sanctified, it's considered chulin, non-sanctified property, then it's forbidden to bring korbanos from that money. However, since Ben Bukhri, since the end of the day, the Kohen is giving it as a half shekel, so he is sanctifying it and giving it totally over to the Beis HaMikdash, and so he has not sinned. However, Omar Rabbi Yechim ben Zakkai, Rabbi Yechim ben Zakkai said to him, the opposite is true, loichi, not, that's not the case. Any Kohen who does not give a half shekel has violated a sin, because they are obligated, just like everybody else, to contribute the half shekel. Now, why exactly did the Kohanim think that they weren't obligated? So, as well as the reason we gave above, that it was compared to the original counting, the original giving of the half shekels, 
The mission now explains another rationale of the Kohanim. But the Kohanim would interpret the following Posuk for themselves, for their own benefit, because the Posuk says, Any Korba Mincha, which was a offering of flour, if it was brought by a Kohen, then it is totally burnt and it cannot be eaten. This is unlike a Korba Mincha, which is brought by a non Kohen, where a handful of the flour is taken and burnt on the Mizbeach, but the rest of it can be eaten. So the Kohanim said the following logic. If we are going to contribute to the Shkolim, so that means that the Korbonis, which are Korbonis Mincha, which are public offerings, which come from this money of the Shkolim, they will come also from our money. That is considered a public offering, which comes from both Kohanim and non-Kohanim. But since the Kohanim will also have a share in those public flower offerings, so none of those public Korbonis Mincha will be able to be eaten. But we know that is not the case. Since the Korban Oimer, or the Korban Mincha which was brought together with the Shtea Lechem, the two loaves of bread for Shavuos, or the Korban Mincha which was brought together with the bread baked on Erev Shabbos, if those things would be considered to be ours, then how would they ever be able to be eaten? Surely they'll be considered like every Korban Mincha of a Koyen, which has to be totally burnt. Rather, it must be, concluded the, the Kohanim, that we should not give any of the Shkalim, and we are totally exempt. Now, the reason why they were not, this is not true, and they were incorrect in interpreting the Pasuk like this, is because that only applies to private Korbanos Mincha, which are brought by individuals, but Korbanos Mincha, which are brought together as a community by the entire Jewish people, that same law did not apply.